Oh, good morning. Does it, uh, does it feel like Advent yet, or does it seem a little premature? What do you guys think? We're uh, kind of getting into that season now, and uh, I thought it was going to start in October, the way things happen, but uh, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, does anyone know uh, what is happening on uh, December 4th, this coming Wednesday? Anybody? What's going on December 4th? Town hall meeting. Awesome. Okay, and what will we do there? Have you ever seen Dr. Seuss? There's like the the uh, tree, all the dogs are going, what will we do? Will they play there? Will they work there? What will we do at the town hall meeting? Vote on elders. Vote on elders and members and eat. Yeah, we'll eat. Somebody said eat. That is the most important part. And, uh, and we'll sing songs of worship, get a financial update. If, you are, uh, if, if you're interested in knowing what's going on here at LifeSpring, if you're a member, if you're a regular attender or, or want to be, uh, just really encourage you to come uh, 7 p.m., on, uh, did I get that right? 7 p.m., I believe. 6.30? 6.30 on, uh, on this Wednesday coming up. I'll be there before then. All right. And then uh, just a quick word on Thanksgiving, uh, though it's over and you may be feeling it's after effects, some of you. Um, you know, I, I, was, uh, I was really struck this year um, by the fact that Thanksgiving was originally a fast, not a feast. Uh, it wasn't uh, originally a time when, when we ate lots of food and, and uh, sat around the table. It was actually the pilgrims uh, didn't have much food. And still they gave thanks to God as their creator and sustainer. It was a time to focus their, their faith and their energy on, on trusting in God, uh, not just about food. And now we, we, uh, we oftentimes feast uh, at Thanksgiving. And that too is a time to give thanks to God for his faithfulness and provision. But I just want to... Um, encourage you that uh, whether you are fasting or feasting, uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Uh, let's turn our, um, our hearts to God in prayer and bow our heads. Uh, Father God, whether we are fasting or feasting or whatever we do, we do it with thankful hearts, trusting in your sufficiency and waiting for that great feast you have invited us to in heaven. You are sufficient for all our needs and the proper object for the affections of our hearts. So we come before you as your church in the name of Christ, a people bought and paid for, a people redeemed, a people adopted as your children. And we pray that you would quiet our hearts this morning as we seek you. As we turn our hearts to Advent, help us to wait for the coming of Christ, faithfully, trustingly, hopefully, expectantly, and with joy. We pray that we would understand the incarnation of Christ with new eyes and fall deeper in love with Jesus. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through the prophet Isaiah, quicken our hearts and the hearts of those in our community, help them to know you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, since we're a little interactive today, um, what, uh, we're, we're starting Advent season today. Uh, what is Advent, anyone? Whoa, silence. All right. The anticipation, the anticipation of Christ's coming. Such a great answer. This is awesome. All right. So the word Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, and it means coming. Or, um, it has kind of a, uh, connotations of waiting and expectation. And we often say that there are three different comings that we want to focus on during Advent. And um, the first one is... Um, is, of course, Christ coming in a manger. We remember that Jesus sent Christ uh, to, to come uh, incarnate, the Son of God. And then secondly, 
We look forward to Jesus' return in glory. We look forward to what's going to take place with anticipation and, uh, and all that's been promised to us. And then um, we wait and with anticipation as Jesus comes into our hearts daily. We, there's, a, there's a present sense of this as well. So there's sort of a, a looking back, looking forward, and then what's taking place day by day. And perhaps that is the most difficult of all right now. Um, waiting with anticipation is no easy a, uh, task. The meaning of Advent has been lost in the secularization of Christmas. Uh, a couple years ago, Tim Keller wrote a book called Hidden Christmas. In that book, he was saying that really what's taken place is, is the holiday of Christmas. What we celebrate as Christmas has grown bigger and bigger, but the meaning of Christmas has become hidden and hard to find. And similarly, Sinclair Ferguson told this story of, I think it was in the city of Glasgow, um, they had a manger scene outside and somebody stole the figure of baby Jesus. And he said that's sort of like what's happened. It's a little picture of what's happened in our society when it comes to Advent and Christmas. So the point is that while Christmas grows as a holiday and a celebration, the reason for the celebration has become lost to many. And even those who know the true meaning of Christmas, the trappings and busyness of the season can derail us from what's truly important. So we are taken captive by the glitter and we miss the substance. Well, in order for us to seek the Christ of Christmas, we are going to, as a church, be looking at it through the eyes of Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And here's the goal. We want to see through the, uh, Christmas through the eyes of the Old Testament prophet as he looked forward 700 years towards his Messiah. So we're trying to capture what Isaiah is seeing as he's looking forward 700 years uh, to the promised Messiah. Isaiah begins uh, with a, a vision. He says, this is a vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. It's a long book that interacts, 66 chapters that interact with kings and chronicles and history. There's all sorts of things that could be said about Isaiah, but here's where we're going. We just want to look at Isaiah with the eyes of Advent, him looking forward to the time of Christ, how that relates to Christmas. And we'll be relating that to this, the subjects that, uh, that we naturally occur through the, the Advent candles. And this first one today is on hope. So we'll be talking about the subject of the hope. We lit the hope candle. This is a significant theme for Christmas, a significant theme for Isaiah, even though, you, know, you heard the first chapter read, uh, that Isaiah begins in a very funny way for a book that has hope in it. Um, so here's where we're heading. Isaiah gives us three images that we're going to explore. The first is a heavenly court, a heavenly court. The next one is an earthly stump. And then the last one, a hopeful branch. So the heavenly court, uh, Isaiah opens like a scene from a courtroom. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. So God is bringing his complaint to court. He calls heaven and earth as his witness about what's taking place here. And he said um, Israel, uh, during the time of Isaiah, was less perceptive and less understanding than either an ox or a mule. An ox or a mule would have a better chance of understanding what the Lord has for him than, than um, the people of Israel during that time did. And then the people's crimes are listed. So... Two things, they are morally 
and theologically deficient. They're morally and theologically deficient. They're morally deficient in sinful, they're guilty, they're corrupt, and they're also theologically deficient. Oh, we have it up there. Look at that. Forsaken, spurned, and they have turned their backs on God. So they've turned away from God, and they've turned away from doing what's right. Two ways that they have failed. And it's not as if the people had actually stopped formally worshiping the Lord, but rather their worship had become meaningless. It had become a hollow shell. They were still doing it. But it was mixed with idolatry. People worshiped with their lips, but they acted immorally, so much so that in Isaiah 1.13, God says, Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your worship has become a burden to me. I am tired of it because it means nothing. So for their crimes, the people were tried and convicted in this heavenly court. And um, Isaiah 1.6, from the, the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness, only wounds, welts, open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. And then the people were offered parole for good behavior. In uh, 116, um, God speaks through Isaiah, says, wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come, let us settle the matter says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though your red is crimson, they shall be like wool. But the people would not change. So there's, there's a pardon offered. You could turn, but you're not. You're not going to. And so you're going to um, reap judgment. Uh, beaten, afflicted, desolate, burned by fire, possessions and lives laid waste. Um, one five, why should you be beaten anymore? Why should you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your heart afflicted. Isaiah one twenty five. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and remove your impurities. What a depressing picture, right? So right about now, someone needs to be yelling out from among you, stop, stop, you bungled it. Because this is supposed to be a message on hope, Right? And what a crummy passage to start out with. Pastor, you have really messed up here. And, uh, you know, it, it is true. I mean, why are we looking for hope in Isaiah if the prophet simply points out the people's shortcomings? And it gets even worse. The nation's compared to a prostitute because of its many gods, accused of being murderers with hands full of blood, silver that's become dross. Chapter after chapter, Isaiah describes the depth of the offense and the scope of God's judgment. But there's hope. So I think we've gotten to the bottom here. Um, we're left with a stump. A, it, Israel's compared, it's like a beautiful, majestic tree. Have you ever seen one that's so large you can't get your arms around it? And branches that go way up into the sky and there are birds in them and beautiful leaves and people are resting underneath its shade, a, a vast majestic tree that people are enjoying and, and, uh, and smells good. And, and yet, at the center of that tree, it is rotten to the core. And one day, that tree in a mighty storm blows down. And you see the carnage on the ground, all the, all the leaves and the branches and everything are just 
all over the place, and, and that which people enjoyed, nobody wants to be there now because it's an absolute mess. And we think it's over for that tree. That tree has fallen. We remember the beauty, but now it's just a stump. We're left with a stump. I wonder how it was for the people that lived in the days of the stump. Remembering the grandeur of the tree, the enormous trunk, the, the wonderful days of sitting underneath its shade. The people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem that remembered the goodness of what it was like before that tree fell down. The temple and the wall were torn down. People lost their possessions, their family members, their freedom. The line of kings had seemingly ended, not as though the, the line was gone, but the line of David had lost its sovereignty and power. Um, the line of David, the nation of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem had all become a stump. And yet in Isaiah 6.13, there's hope. Though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. As we head into winter right now, I can think about how much I love the spring. I, I don't know if you have that too, but uh, somebody in the Chicago Tribune a, a few years ago wrote this story and it's talked about how Chicago has the best winters uh, because they have so, um, best springs because they have the most terrible winters. And it talked about people kind of poking their heads out of ground like a, a pasty white mole and, and so forth. Uh, and, uh, and then the, the spring's coming up. But I, I love the spring, and I, I'm sure you do too. It seems like a long ways away right now. Um, but in the spring, all the things that are hidden come forth. The roots, the seeds, all the things, they'll sort of die off and become flat. There are beds near our house that are completely flat. You wouldn't think there's anything in them. And then all of a sudden, things start bursting forth. There are shoots coming up. There are flowers. There are all sorts of, of activity with the, plant, the plants. And if there are any trees that I'd cut down, we have a little area of wood behind our house, um, I go back there, and sometimes in those stumps, you see growth coming up. And the growth that comes up from those stumps is actually more rapid than a seed that's dropped in the ground because the roots are deep. And what comes up it has the strength of that which was before. Well, God compares Israel to a stump. So you, the, the tree's been cut down, the stump is left, but the shoot comes up and there is hope. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Are you guys still awake? Father of David. Father of David. Okay, good. Um, so the, the shoot is going to come from the uh, stump of Jesse, and uh, God will bring hope. Uh, a line of David will be renewed, grow once again from the little ember in the ashes. God will um, kindle a fire. And so what will the shoot of Jesse be like? We wonder. Um, 11.2, Isaiah 11.2 says, uh, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And then uh, we, we end up with a list here. Uh, the, shoot, uh, the shoot of Jesse, and I believe that passage is, can you guys read that? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. So the shoot of Jesse, the Messiah would be filled with the spirit of God, first of all. So this coming Messiah, the shoot of Jesse, is going to be filled with God's spirit. And then they're going to be wise and perceptive. So this coming Messiah will be wise and perceptive, have counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge, 
delight in the fear of the Lord, make right judgments as opposed to what's taken place in the past and uh, God's people, this Messiah will make right judgments and care for the poor and oppressed and bring judgment on the wicked and be righteous and faithful. So who could this shoot of Jesse be? And of course, the Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? But why? And if we think about the why do Christians think there's a, a, a tight linkage between Isaiah and the coming Messiah? And if we look at the first 17 verses in the book of Matthew, there's a genealogy with one purpose. Uh, there's these, this 14, 14, 14, there's all these names and everything, and then at the end says, well, these, these 14, 14, 14 generation um, points to, it, it all points to Jesus. That's what the, the um, shoot of Jesse is. Jesus is the shoot of Jesse from the book of Isaiah. And then in Luke 1, 26 through 38, the angel Gabriel visits Mary, gives her the good news that she would carry the Messiah, and Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answers that the Holy Spirit will come on you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then later, uh, just a couple chapters later, in Luke 3.22, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus bodily like a dove. So Jesus was both born of the Spirit, the Spirit of God rested upon him. And so when we look at this list, we're thinking, okay, uh, what, is the, what does this Messiah need to be like? Well, the Messiah is the shoot of Jesse, so clearly linked to David. The Messiah is going to have the Spirit of God uh, resting upon him. And then we look at the rest of this list, wise and perceptive, counsel and might, spirit of knowledge, light in the fear of the Lord, right judgments, care for the poor and oppressed. Uh, and that was uh, Jesus' first message in, in Nazareth, um, that he fulfilled all these things. And so our purpose here, now, what I could do right now is just say, okay, let, why can we reasonably believe that, um, that Jesus is this Messiah from Isaiah? But that's not what I want to do because that would take the rest of the time here. What I want to do is take a different trajectory. I want to talk about Christmas hope as it relates to this. So uh, if you have questions about how Isaiah and the New Testament relate to one another, we can spend some time talking about that. I'd love to do that. Um, but I want, to, um, I want to bring up this Christmas hope. And so in Isaiah 1.16, Isaiah saw the coming Messiah as the hope of his people. He said, wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what's right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. But that would not be enough. So turn from what you're doing wrong. Turn from what you're morally doing wrong. And change. And the people couldn't do that by themselves, but the Messiah is going to help them do that. But doing the right thing would not be enough. People also need to be cleansed from their unrighteousness because they've turned their backs on God. And so uh, what we read earlier, Come, let us settle this matter together, said the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And we might add, through the ministry of Jesus Christ. So as Isaiah saw it, the people had become morally and theologically bankrupt. They had lost their uh, bearings, turned their back on God, 
And does that sound like it just happened 700 years before the time of Christ, or does it sound like anything that's happened today? I mean, really, couldn't we apply this very same thing today? What's our nation like? What are our people like? Are we morally and theologically deficient or bankrupt? Are, or are we headed in that direction, or are we headed in a different direction? It seems that, that we have a, a serious problem here. We have the same problem that occurred in Isaiah's day, and it could get relatively depressing for us. And I think some of the, the, the reason why there are these hard passages in Scripture, we read them, we go, wow, that's kind of depressing everything, is because sometimes life's depressing. Sometimes we look at things going on in the paper, we look at things going on in our own families, we look at things going on in our relationships, whatever can take place, if the hard things aren't there in Scripture, then, then Scripture is not strong enough to carry the hard things. And so we look in Isaiah's day and we say, wow, what a mess. They make us look good. And we're a mess. But there's hope. And God brought hope from the stump, the shoot of Jesse. Faith and hope uh, have a different definition in our culture than they do in the Bible. In our culture, faith is something that we believe but have no evidence for. We, we live in a very evidence-based um, society. Everything's based on evidence. And hope is something we wonderfully wish for, but we have no assurance it could possibly happen. But we hope it will. It's all about our, our volition on both parts, but not about evidence. But I think one of the, uh, the, the, um, the ways to understand this better, biblical hope, is uh, it has a lot to do with grammar. Uh, if you look at a sentence, there's a subject and a... Subject and a... Not a verb. Not a predicate. Well, we could say predicate. Object. Subject, object, right? So there's the, the subject of the sentence. So I threw the ball. I am the... They're like, oh gosh, I'm going to get into English lessons here. All right, so let's try this. If I said, I trusted my car to start, the car is the object that I trusted, and the probability that I um, get what I trusted in has a lot to do with my car, my object, my car, right? My car. If my car is a good car and it starts every time, I, I can probably trust that car. But what if my car were really lame? And I, at one point, my truck got to the point, it was a manual transmission, the starter went out, and I had to actually get it moving, and I popped the clutch and it would start. What if it was that kind of car? The probability that what is going to happen, a lot of that is tied into what the object of the sentence is. Now, our faith also has an object, and we might believe, and it's popular to talk about belief, but belief has a lot to do with what we believe in, the object of our faith. Is the object of our faith reliable? Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a wonderful description of biblical faith. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. We're believing in something that is worth believing in. We're believing in God himself. If we believe in our car, 
or we believe in our family, or we believe in any number of good things that we trust in day by day. It's not that we shouldn't trust them. It's not that I shouldn't hop in my car and try and drive away and not trust that it'll start. But ultimately, my car at some point, if I own it long enough, will stop starting regularly and faithfully. But God won't. And so the object of that faith is important. Well, if faith is the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see, what is hope? Hope, we might think of as the future orientation of our faith. Faith and hope are tightly connected to one another, but hope deals with the future. It's trusting God for the future. I'd like to give you a definition for this. And um, hope is the confident, faithful expectation of what God will do in the future. The confident, faithful expectation of what God will do in the future. There's a uh, German word I learned a couple years ago uh, called Erdwartung, which I'm probably terribly mispronouncing, but uh, my son Anji and I went on a trip after he graduated from college, and between then and work, we went out down to Peru and took two backpacks, had two tickets, and had no other plans. And uh, we, we got down there, and, and uh, we ran across, among other things that happened, we ran across uh, some Germans. And there was this older German woman, and, and she was just a, a, an incredible believer, and she was going down to check out some rural hospital that, um, that her and her husband would go to and just kind of give their, their life to and service and everything. And so they were going to go find this thing, and then they were going to uh, go check it out and see if this is where God was calling them. And, and uh, so we said, we'll go with you. So we, we went on this bus, you know, bumpy bus ride. And I won't tell you all the details of it, but it was, it was long. And uh, finally got there, and uh, this woman had not tried to contact the hospital in advance. She'd not, she just basically, you know, and she said, you know, we need to live our lives in faithful expectation. So she finally gets a hold of somebody, they show us around the hospital, and they stayed. And, um, and I thought about that many times since then. We need to live our lives in faithful expectation. What if we had this incredible expectation for what God was going to do, even in the hard things of our lives? through the good, through the bad, through all these things, if we lived our lives with confident, faithful expectation of what God will do in the future. And the future is so broad that we can't even fathom it because what God might do in the future might be beyond the timeline of our lives. That was certainly so for Isaiah. And it's certainly so for us. We might wait for someone to come to faith and we might die before we see it but we wait confidently and expectantly at what God will do in the future. That's the hope that we need. So let's bring that hope into Advent. Okay, we, we basically talked about three things. We talked about, can we go one more? Oh, there we go. We talked about the, the incarnation, the manger, the, what happened in the past. We talked about glory, Christ's return, what will happen in the future. And we talked about uh, into our hearts daily. So when we look back to the manger at God's faithfulness, can you imagine being God and wanting to become human in any way? That just doesn't sound like a good deal. And yet God is willing to do that for us because of his great love. We oftentimes think of the cross as God's love for us, but the incarnation is an incredible amount of love for God to be willing to become human and enter a human experience so that we can be saved. So as we look back at God's faithfulness in the past, we have hope for the future. 
Um, I want to talk about this word uh, glory, uh, Christ's return. One of the things we'll be doing at the town hall meeting is voting on a change in our statement of faith. The uh, EFCA, which is the denomination or association that we're a part of here at LifeSpring, uh, changed one word in their statement of faith at the last national meeting. And it, and it went through much deliberation, it was a two-year process, and the word is this. Uh, they used to have uh, eschatological um, word called premillennial in their statement of faith, and they removed that and put the word glorious in. Now that may not sound like a, a huge change, but what it means is, in their statement of faith, they used to say, uh, this particular way is the only way be we believe the end times are going to work. Uh, we believe it's going to be premillennial. And so there are three, just a, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on here, but if you want more information, come to the town hall meeting or talk to me personally, actually even better, we can talk about this. But premillennial believes in the literal thousand year um, reign of Christ before, um, before there's the, the new heaven and earth. And, and there's, there's sort of a, a time of um, uh, uh, an in-between time that doesn't occur in the next two versions, which is amillennial. The amillennialists believe that we're in the church age right now. It's a symbolic thousand year. And then postmillennial believes that we're sort of ushering in the, 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 the good times. Um, there aren't too many postmillennialists uh, anymore. There are quite a few amillennialists and different denominations. And what the EFCA is saying is uh, we want to broaden the tent and allow uh, amillennialists uh, to be part of uh, of this denomination. Um, so if you've read uh, the Left Behind Books uh, series, that would be uh, not only premillennial, but premillennial pre-trib. It's a very specific view of what's going to happen in end times. And, uh, and what the EFCA is saying is, you know, we want to broaden this tent. But why would we want to or not want to do that? Um, and, uh, and just real quick, I, I don't want to give a whole history lesson, but the, the EFCA was born during a time when, uh, when uh, liberalism was taking off and then a more conservative uh, fundamentalist church was being born. And, uh, and, and, and basically this premillennialism, pre-mill, pre-trib, was very much seen as a, a test of orthodoxy. Is it? Well, uh, if we put it among the other items that are on the statement of faith, things like inerrancy of scripture, things like was uh, Jesus really born of a virgin, uh, uh, you know, the nature of God himself, Christ's work and uh, the gospel. It's, um, it, if you kind of said which one of these things is not like the others, this would be the thing that's not like the others because it does not have to do with our salvation. It can be very important, it's definitely very important, but it's not at the same level, it's not salvific. And so it really doesn't belong in the statement of faith. And the word glorious is actually a more biblical term. So I, um, I believe that we should go ahead and change, make that change to have our um, statement of faith reflect what the EFCA also has. And uh, uh, we don't have to do that. Uh, we as a church, they've made provision for existing churches to keep their statement of faith. Uh, and, uh, and just have new churches um, make the, the revision. So uh, that's, that's all that. We can talk more afterwards if you want to hear about it. But the one thing I would say this um, in terms of Christmas hope is it's going to be glorious. I mean, think about this. We get new bodies, a new heaven and new earth. Everything is renewed. We have been adopted as God's children. 
Uh, we're going to have a relationship renewed with God. And so however that takes place, and, and I'm pre-mill, I haven't changed from what I am for this, but however that takes place, it's going to be glorious and amazing. It's, going to, it's heaven that we're talking about. And that's the future that we look forward to. If we really believe in the reality of heaven, it would change what we do today. And then uh, the last part here in our hearts daily. So um, here's the deal. You and I have got many different demands on our time during the Christmas season. Uh, at any time, but more so during the Christmas season usually. And it could be buying gifts for people. It could be family coming in town. It could be any number of things that, that, uh, that vie for our attention, different activities. That, um, but what are we going to do if we have a confident, expectant hope in Christ? Are we going to relegate that to the side, or are we going to have it center? And if we're going to have it center, how are we going to do that when we have more things vying for our time and attention this time of year than anything else? It's going to require intentionality. So I want to encourage you to do this. Take some time each day to read something of the narrative. You could read Isaiah or read something of uh, the, the, the story of Jesus' birth is mostly in uh, Luke 1 and 2, uh, some in Matthew. And, uh, and, and spend a little time reading, reflecting, and praying on that. We have some devotionals out in the lobby th uh, that, that can help you with that. Um, and just really think, you know, God, I, I don't want to just read the story. I, I read the story, and I'm, I'm so thankful for what happened in the past, but what are you doing in my heart today? How are you speaking to me now? And how will I trust you in the future? So that's one thing. Just take this as an opportunity to grow the closer we get to Christmas, just think, if my heart were to grow closer to Christ, the closer we grew to, uh, came to Christmas, that would be a huge win. And then secondly, I would say this, this is a wonderful opportunity to invite other people um, to come to church, to, uh, to join in conversations that wouldn't otherwise want to take part in it. Um, Christ, his name is in Christmas. It's, it, it's an easy thing to start up. Give them a, an Advent card or, or talk to them about it. Or just, you can just ask somebody, hey, what, what, what they grew up with or what they, what they believe in, but start a conversation. But encourage you, just think about how you personally can grow during this Advent, how you can quiet your heart, and how you can share that with someone else. All right, hope. I, uh, I want you to think of Advent as a beacon set out to guide travelers who are lost. It's going to help us find our way home as we longingly anticipate the light of Christ, the gift of Christ, and the spiritual nourishment that Christ can bring to our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word hope. And I know there are some here that uh, may have been struggling with that word. Perhaps we put our hope in wrong things, or perhaps we just have so many things going on, it's, it's hard, to, um, hard to really realize that expectation, but I pray that each one of us would have advarta. Pray that each one of us would have expectation. Um, thankful for what you've done in the past, trusting you day by day, and putting all our cards in what you will do in the future. Lord, I pray that that would be so of us. In Jesus' name, amen.